Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from ToLoveHonorAndVacuum.com, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence-based biblical advice for your marriage and your sex life. And today we have something really exciting. I am going to be interviewing Mylan and Kay Yurkovich, who wrote How We Love. In the month of May on the blog at To Love, Honor, and Vacuum, we've been going through attachment theory and how our attachment styles can impact our marriage. And you are going to love this interview. I love doing it. Um, but before we get to that, two quick announcements. First of all, we're going to be moving over to baremarriage.com really soon. So we're in the final stages of moving the entire site over. Um, we've gone through and collated the blog posts we want to keep and the ones we want to get rid of. So look out for that announcement. Um, no longer to love on and vacuum.com. And just a reminder that if you want to support this podcast and support me and you want your boobs to look awesome, you can shop at Nick's bras, nix.com and nix.ca. We have um, amazing links there. I love these bras. It's no more underwire, but they still make you look wonderful and they're so comfy. So check out those links in the podcast notes. And without further ado, let's get to the Yurkoviches. This is an interview I have been looking so forward to. I have on the podcast, Mylan and Kay Yurkovich. Hello. How are you guys? Good. How are you, Sheila? It's our pleasure to be with you. I'm, I'm doing great. And I have to tell you that your book, How We Love, is one of the few Christian books that I can recommend wholeheartedly in the marriage realm. And there's not very many of those. So listeners will know how serious a recommendation that is. So this is a great book. <laughs> so thank, thank you, you for writing it. Thank you so much. And before we get started, Kay is a licensed marriage and family therapist. Mylan, you were an ordained pastor and then you kind of did marriage counseling together. And now you've got a whole lot of stuff that you do online and we'll be touching on that later. But I want to jump into how we love here. Everybody can see it right here. Great book. I don't know if that's your new cover. Is that the new cover? That's the not cover? the new cover. There's a um, edition that's newer than that, that we added quite a bit of great stuff to. Oh, well, hey, I've got the older one and it was great hey. as well. But if you buy it, you'll have an even, if I thought this was great, then just imagine how great the newer one is. So. <laughs> as our listeners will know, we've been talking about attachment this month and how that can impact marriages. And what you do in this book is you go through different, what you call love styles and how that affects attachment. Um, but you start off by saying that a lot of times we have these recurring conflicts in our marriages where we're trying to deal with issues and we're never really stopping the recurring conflicts. Mm -hmm. And what you realized is that a lot of this was from your imprints from childhood right. and that you keep living out. So can you explain what you mean by that? Well, when we were married for 15 years and he was in the ministry at that time, we did Bible studies, we prayed, we memorized scripture, but that core pattern was so tenacious and, you know, he chased me, I avoided him and we just never really- Well, explain what chase means. Well, chase means he was the pursuer always asking me how I was and I felt he was too needy and hovering too much. And so I would sort of very nicely push away. And we just had that pattern going for 15 years. And finally we quit the ministry and just looked at God and said, something's broken, but we don't understand what. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And God really led us on a journey in a very surprising direction. He had us really turn around and look at our histories. And that was not what we thought the answer would be, but attachment theory was something 
that I started reading about and mostly in relation to children. Uh, because at that time, you know, 30 years ago, it was really not much research done on adult attachment. But when I read through this and shared it with Mylan, we realized it was describing the root of that core pattern. Mm -hmm. And it was so eye-opening. For the first time, we felt like we had a real direction to head in terms of growth goals that would change things at the root. And they were very different. My growth goals were more to learn to connect and know what I felt and be able to express needs and feelings and ask for help, which sounds so simple, but I was raised not <laughs> to do any of those things. And his journey was more to learn to separate and be okay without someone's constant approval. So our growth goals for sanctification ended up being quite different, Yeah, but life-changing. And if I could add to that, the love styles that you mentioned earlier um, is our word for what's known in the research as an, an attachment style. Mm -hmm. And so Kay was the attachment style of being emotionally avoidant. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have the avoider. A lot of people typecast males into the uh, emotionally avoidant individual. But Certainly we see of all these love styles, they're not gender oriented. They are oriented toward your attachment experience. I was the pleaser. I grew up in a home where there was a lot of fear and I was very fear-based. So uh, she being more quiet and distant alarmed me and created a fright or a fear factor in me that caused me to pursue. That was the reason why I was pursuing. Mm -hmm. If things were quiet in my home, that meant that either a big fight was going to happen or one had already happened and nobody was talking for several days. So she's an introvert. And then on top of that, she was avoidant. And so I was always wondering what was wrong because she wasn't engaged. Yeah. And so it was frightening when I realized the fear factor and that my past case said it perfectly earlier when we look back and realize what caused her to be avoidant, what caused me to be the pleaser, then it, were the, it was those attachment styles that caused the core pattern to start. And then we could start to work on those. And when we did and became more securely attached, uh, that core pattern went away. Yeah. Yay. I'm just, I'm just picturing this dance and you talk a lot about dance in your book of, <laughs> of you chasing and then her avoiding. And so you're chasing some more because you're even more desperate. So then she right. avoids some more. And then that, that, that just sounds like a recipe for disaster. Well, uh, that's, a, that's, a nice, uncomfortable. that's a nice word for it. Uh, now, <laughs> it wasn't disastrous to the point. We, we were committed to marriage. And, mm -hmm. But we, we just were frustrated because we just didn't know what it was. All of a sudden, we began to have deep compassion for one another. I could understand Kay. I could see her, her being alone as a little girl. And it was important to see the little girl inside of her mm -hmm. and that she's still there. And then mm -hmm. Kay could have compassion for me, who was an anxious kid who was scared a lot and, and rightfully so. And she could have compassion for that. Yeah. We just, up to that point, we had never really explored history. Mm -mm. And so it really provided a deep change to understand the historical roots of my husband 
and his to understand my historical roots because the things that usually irritate you about your spouse often have a wound sitting under them. Mm -hmm. And when you understand that wound, instead of the irritation can start to move towards compassion because it's like starts to make sense. Well, Mm -hmm. no wonder you're always pursuing me. And no wonder I'm always like pulling away and feeling uncomfortable with that. And uh, it, compassion is a huge shift point in a marriage when you can start to have compassion for what what is underneath that behavior. So the core pattern's gone. And uh, that was 35 years ago. And we started working a couple of years, really hard work of getting to learn to listen to one another. And pretty soon things began to resolve. That's amazing. You know, the reason why I'm so drawn to this and why we spent a whole month on it is that so often in marriage, we talk about how to resolve conflict and how to forgive and how to communicate and how to have date nights and things that are really focused on the marriage as if all of our problems or all of our, all of our issues started the day that we got married but we're two individuals and a lot of these core things are really imprinted early. And I love, I love the word imprint. I think that's, that's um, a really good way of putting it. You said in your book that each imprint is recognizable. And when different imprints collide, the results are predictable. (laughs) And so you go through how different imprints can collide, but there are five imprints. And I thought we could just sort of go through them quickly. You've talked about avoider and pleaser. Um, But the first one is really fun. It's secure connector. So what does that look like? The secure connector is going to come from a home where they were able to develop self-awareness in their child. And the child develops that skill of self-awareness and other awareness when a parent is asking them to describe their inner self and teaching them to put feeling words to different experiences so that as time goes on they're able when you ask them what's going on inside they can describe their inner experience Mm -hmm. and if you have a good awareness of your own inner experience then you're going to be more able to guess or be curious about someone else's experience so self-awareness and other awareness is a huge trait of a secure connector. The other thing we look at very often is the ability to repair a rupture. A lot of people had families that they saw a lot of ruptures, but they didn't see repair. Mm-hmm. And when a, a parent teaches a child to repair things when they go wrong and with their siblings or with the parent and the parent does the same with the child, then a when they grow up, they're less afraid of conflict because they have the skills to negotiate difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Additionally, uh, how people manage stress, Uh, a secure connector uh, will know what is stressing them. There's a beautiful picture of that in Matthew 26, where Jesus is going to the cross and the night before in Gethsemane, he says to his disciples, he, he takes three of them and brings them closer to him. And he says, my soul, his inner man, it's the Greek word, suke, psychology, is distressed to the point of death. Come watch and pray with me. Mm -hmm. So what he could do is he has self-awareness. He could take his stress into relationship with other human beings. 
and his safest people, Peter, James, and John, and he could take his stress into relationship with God. Then he prayed and asked God for help as well. But if we don't know how to bring our stress and discomfort into relationship for relief, then we go to non-relational ways for relief. We go to obsessions, compulsions, addictions. The whole world is filled with people who are trying to make these unpleasant feelings go away by sedating them or distracting from them or busying themselves with things that get their mind off of what hurts. So those are just three brief descriptors of what secure attachment looks like, more like what God wants us to look like as we grow into the image of Christ. Right. Now, I know in attachment theory, they say about 50, was it 50 to 60% of people are securely attached? Is that is that what you found too? No. No? <laughs> I know. I've no. had a lot of pushback on that. A lot of people say, it's not 50 to 60%. I, I don't think so. I think all these attachment styles exist on a continuum from mild to medium to very strong, depending mm -hmm. on the environment that a, a child grew up in. And there is no perfect parent. Mm -hmm. We're in a broken world. We're broken parents raising broken kids. So I think everybody's got a little bit of something. I don't think there's anybody on this planet that doesn't have some room to grow. Mm -hmm. Some people just have a better head start than others in terms of the skills they're given by their parents relationally. They have a high level of emotional intelligence and which is a, a great skill to have going into adulthood but for a lot of us you know we don't know what we don't know we don't know what we missed in my home it wasn't what happened as the avoider it's more about what didn't happen mm -hmm. i wasn't asked about feelings i don't have memories of comfort where a parent really noticed i was upset and sought me out and tried to comfort you know i left that experience feeling like Oh, it's good to go to people when you're not okay. They really help you out. Right. I learned just the opposite. Go away, be by yourself, figure it out on your own. Don't show people your emotions because they're, my dad got mad. My mom got anxious. Mm -hmm. uh, so being able to uh, have memories of comfort teaches you to go to people when you're stressed. And so many people have a difficult time with that. So I don't think it's as high as the research says. Yeah. <laughs> And, and the divorce rate, you know, various reports on that, but, you know, somewhere around 50%, you know, the divorce rate inside the church and outside the church is really high. And, and then the, of the other 50% that are still intact, the bell-shaped curve applies, you know, as to the quality of the relationship. Mm -hmm. So our, when we talk to audiences, probably maybe 25 to 30% can raise their hand in the affirmative that, yes, I have memories of comfort from a parent to me when I was distressed as a child and was comforting. It gave me an ability to sort out my world. Really? So only 25 to 30% have memories of comfort. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, mom, I know you're listening. You did a good job then because I have a lot of memories. You know, of that's, that's really unusual. Yeah. People don't even realize that have those memories that it's really quite a blessing and it's quite unusual for a parent to have the skills to pass that on. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, bless your that's mom. Great. All right. So that's, that's the secure. You've talked a little bit about avoider, but do you want to, do you want to say anything else about the avoider type? Sure. Yeah. That was my lifestyle coming into marriage and it certainly animated me for the first 
15 years of our marriage, um, as I said briefly, you know, my parents, it wasn't a lack of love. It was a lack of having something to pass on that they got from their parents. And they just didn't know how to, how to work with difficult emotions at all. It was, you know, just smile and be happy. And if you're not, go figure it out. Uh, so the avoider will often come from a family where there's just no deep conversation. They wouldn't say that they're, they feel deeply known by their parents. Parents didn't know kind of how to connect in a way that went below the surface. Mm -hmm. And avoiders often grow up in homes where the emphasis is more on task and mastery and responsibility. And so they're often very efficient and even keeled because they don't have a lot of feelings and people marry avoiders because we're so even and predictable. Mm -hmm. What they don't realize is later on is that they don't really know how to connect in any way that's um, meaningful, but it's not a withholding. A lot of people say, well, you're stonewalling and avoiders aren't stonewalling. They, they don't have the experience when you say you want to connect. Okay. They, they can hear the word, but they don't have the experience of a, a connection that felt deep and rich in, uh, in childhood. So they're kind of lost right. and need to develop skills to learn to connect most of, often for the first time. And those skills, Kay, of self-awareness, other awareness, that's what we call emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, in our society and in the world, there's not a school to go to for emotional intelligence. People don't teach you to identify emotions and then what they mean and what to do about them. So this is about that. It's a, a, a soul word list was so important. There's one in our book and you can get it on our website at howwelove.com um, under freebies under freebies that just allows you to begin to try to put words to the feelings on the inside and um, both of us relied heavily on that that's great and again you you said um you said Kay that there were growth areas that you need to go to as an avoider. And I just want to our listeners to know that in your workbook and in your books, there are for each of these types, you have growth exercises. So it's very right. practical too. So just a little plug right. there. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Now pleaser. What's a pleaser like? Well, the, the pleaser is similar to, and that's what I was, um, the pleaser is similar to the avoider in that they, neither one of them are confrontive, neither one of them will directly address problems, neither one of them is capable in terms of confrontation, or, and then lacks the ability to know even what to do in confrontation. Um, whereas the avoider would tend to, we've heard the phrases fight, flight, and freeze, the, the avoider would tend to just drift away and the flight, she would just kind of mosey, when stressed. mosey off somewhere and wait for the dust to settle down, then mosey on back in. Whereas as a pleaser, I would be frightened and I would freeze. Mm -hmm. And so then I, there would be a, a sense of, of fear. Uh, what does all this mean? And that is what induced the, uh, the uh, you know, really the proximity seeking. So typically they're rescuers, they're codependent, what others feel they feel if somebody else is upset, they're upset, and they're trying to fix that uh, really to alleviate their own anxiety. Uh, they can't tolerate another person being in a not good place. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. And uh, so their identity is built off others. So they're other dependent for their self-esteem or even for their view of self. So it used to be that I was happy if family was happy and if family wasn't happy, I wasn't. So the codependent caretaking person who smiles a lot and tries to give you good news. And if there's bad news, they go on a long talk to try to deliver it as softly as they can. Right, right. Okay, so we've done secure, avoider, and pleaser. I want to take a time out for a minute before we do the other two, because I know that there are people listening to this podcast where one spouse is like, this is what we need. And they're, they're making the other spouse listen (laughs) and the other spouse very well may be thinking, I am not going to lie down on a couch and analyze my mom. Like this isn't going to help me. (laughs) So do you have something quick to say to them as to why they should keep listening before we go on to the next, maybe, maybe a story of some couple, this has really helped or, or something. Tell them about the, the, the text you got this last week. I got an email last week and um, she said to me, you know, we've had this pattern in our marriage for so many years. And she said, we read your book. And for the first time we begin to understand the root of that pattern. And she said, I never used a soul words list in any conversation and my husband's an avoider and I gave him the list of soul words and asked him to describe what he felt when I was angry and she says I was shocked at the words he picked he picked betrayed anxious and disrespected and alone and alone he picked four words and she said I I honestly never knew that I was hurting him because he's so even and he doesn't give me a lot of feedback but she said the soul words really helped him to articulate what was inside of him. When you don't look back, you don't know your spouse. Mm-hmm. You know, we kind of have a little saying, your marriage problems didn't start in your marriage. They started before you ever met your spouse because mm-hmm. you were formed and conformed by your family of origin in mm-hmm. so many ways. And we, I would say we got a PhD in each other's childhood and the benefits were beyond knowing at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, It gave us a sense of knowing where we we touched each other's wounds. It gave us a sense of compassion. We grieved some of those memories together and we had never really gone to that level in our marriage in any way. And we comforted one another. And we comforted one another for those childhood issues. And some people think, well, my childhood doesn't matter. And it what Mylan says I love about the Old Testament. Well, the, the Old Testament is uh, about twice as thick as the New Testament, mm-hmm. uh, but it is history. And we can't understand the New Testament if we don't understand the Old Testament history. So God is a historical God. And when we come to Christ, he does not erase our C drive. He doesn't erase our memories. <laughs> and we are the sum total of all of our years. So uh, really, as you said earlier, Sheila, really what a marriage is, is two colliding histories. Mm -hmm. And if we don't know what's in that history, then we simply react in the present. We don't understand the roots of why we're doing that. So Kay's the queen of one-liners. One of her one-liners is pick your pain. Mm -hmm. The pain of growth, which involves examination and looking at our entire life to see what imprinted, what imprints were placed upon me 
that I wasn't voting for, by the way, and or pick the pain of sitting still in the current difficulties you're in. You can, it, it's pain. It's painful, way, it's painful to grow and it's painful right. to stay stuck. I love that. Pick the productive pain. Yeah. Amen. Okay. So with that in mind, the next one is vacillator. Vacillator, so vacillator is like? the word our publishers asked us to use for the research calls this person ambivalent or preoccupied. Okay. Um, so they usually grow. Is up that in the, home. sorry? Is that the same as disor dis no. disorganized? No, no that's like no. okay. No, the vacillator usually comes from a home where there is some connection enough to kind of turn their longing on high, but it's inconsistent and often more based on the parents' either mood to connect or just availability. And mm -hmm. so this child is kind of left in a position of wanting more and craving more attention than they're actually getting. So they turn the, kind of turns their longing on high. And it, one of the ways I, um, a vacillator, male or female, deal with the pain of inconsistent connection is they idealize their future. Mm -hmm. They are the kings and queens of hope. And they, when they date, they really believe they have found their prince charming or their you know, their soulmate, and um, they tend to not look at any red flags. They just look at the intensity, and the intensity is mistaken for intimacy. So the vacillator moves in quick. They're, everything's all good until usually they get married. Sometimes this pattern can appear in dating too, but vacillators are very triggered by waiting because they did so much waiting for time and attention. And wait, up. waiting can mean inattentiveness or a person goes away and, and they're not engaged in a high level of intensity. They go to work or they... Yeah, it, just normal life really yeah. can trigger abandonment feelings in the vacillator. Right. And while the avoider detaches, the pleaser freezes, the vacillator tends to protest. They look at the other person and say, you're making me feel bad feelings. And they feel a lot. And they're usually feeling abandoned, betrayed, misunderstood, unseen, invisible are the words they use. And if you need to change so that I won't feel these feelings. And what they don't understand is that there's history behind them that fuels that sense of abandonment so that when some, they feel it in the present, they think it's all you. They don't realize this is a feeling they've had for years that is often unresolved and unworked through with a parent. So all their spouse feels is anger but Kay, you hit it right when they really feel highly insecure when someone averts their gaze. Right. Wow. So I, it's, yeah, yeah, I relate to this one totally. <laughs> well, and you know, you I know you said on your website you're you're a single mom. Yeah. And so, you know, a single mom by nothing of her own fault is like gonna have to work and has so many responsibilities that if there were a two-parent family there would just be more time. Mm -hmm. um, so this is never an intentional act on the parents and we're not blaming parents. We only look back to say, you know, they did the best they could, most of them. Mm -hmm. I've only worked with three families in all my history that I would say the parents were actually evil and there was very little good to no good. Uh, but for the most part, parents don't intentionally injure their kids they just these attachment styles are formed very early and they they last a lifetime until we really examine them a couple other traits of the vacillator they tend to kind of swing between all good and i'm happy and this is wonderful to something goes wrong or they get anxious about connection and then it's all bad and you need to go away i'm like 
unhappy, leave me alone. So they can look kind of like the pleaser who's trying to make connection happens. The difference is when they're upset, they're angry and they will protest for a while and maybe even move away and distance for a while, looking like the avoider. The big difference is the anger. A lot of validators say, well, I think I'm a pleaser. And I'm like, well, do you get mad when things go wrong? They're like, oh yeah. I said, then you're probably a vacillator because vacillators are the protesters. Mm-hmm. So um, I'd say one other thing that's very important for vacillators to know is the preoccupation in the literature, they're actually called preoccupied. Well, what does that mean? It means they're always thinking about what's going to happen that's going to make me feel good in the future. What's going to happen when I get together with my spouse after work? Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? And then after an event, they review it. What Mm -hmm. happened? How come this didn't happen? I'm so disappointed. I thought it was going to be this and it was that. And so they spend a lot of time in their head, hurt rehearsing and reviewing. And it takes up a lot of energy and it makes them very anxious. And they've been doing it since they were little kids trying to figure their parents out. Why are they available sometimes and not at others? But again, they think it's the spouse is making this happen to me. Or other people. Or other people, friends, bosses, Mm -hmm. coworkers. Their kids. Yeah, even your kids. kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, my husband and kids are laughing listening to this right now. My husband and kids are laughing because this is just, oh yeah, that's mom. Yeah. (laughs) So many people. I mean, and vacillators kind of feel like they get the bad rap. And I, my heart really goes out to vacillators because I think they suffer the most. Avoiders just detach from feelings. Pleasers are so looking at you and trying to make you happy. They don't feel their own feelings. Vacillators are filled with their own feelings and they're often very painful. Mm-hmm. And then in private, there's kind of a shame pit where they're very hard on themselves, but they don't ever tell anyone about those experiences. They say very negative, mean things to themselves when they feel like they're failing or they're doing something wrong. And it's a really painful place that often spouses are shocked to learn about. Right. And Kate and Sheila, you know, what's interesting here is that shame you're talking about was imposed upon them by somebody else. You know, the child is, it has connection with a parent. Then all of a sudden it's lost either for a noticeable period of time where the child is feeling that disconnection or a much longer period of time, like a divorce or abandonment on a more major scale. And the child incorrectly concludes, it must be me, or that somehow I've done something wrong, or children often assume the blame for the problems of the parents. And so they're trying to figure out why, why don't they want to be with me. Why don't they call? Why haven't they come? Why hasn't dad picked me up? And so when that happens, shame develops. Mm -hmm. And so that's why there's a great big shame button on the inside. And so they shun being corrected. They don't like being criticized. If anybody questions them, they feel their, you know, their emotions start to rise on the inside. And sometimes vacillators can be difficult to talk to if they're agitated or they're being critiqued because shame is so high. Mm-hmm. When a vacillator can do what Brene Brown said uh, of being vulnerable, transparent, and honest with other people, the shame goes down on the inside. And that's yeah. one of the antidotes for the freedom from shame. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I found too, especially in the growth exercises. Okay. Last one is chaotic, which has two components. The chaotic disorganized home is a dangerous home. Mm -hmm. It's a home that many, many children grow up in where the parents are, there is fright for the children, but there are no solutions for the child. They're dependent upon the parents for their well-being. They need a place to sleep. They need a place to eat. They need somebody to take care of them. But yet the child is put into a place of uh, fear and insecurity a lot over and over and over again. So what happens here, and this is a home, sadly, that it, it is quite common in our two countries where you have homes that are, are there's abuse, there's hurt, there's neglect, there are horrible things, or the children witness these horrible things. Mm -hmm. Now, Kaiser Hospital Association created what was called the Adverse Childhood Experience Mm -hmm. Score. And the Adverse Childhood Experience Score basically asked 10 questions. And the higher that score number, the more trauma the child has experienced. Uh, Oprah Winfrey has helped popularize that. And yeah, um, yeah people uh, often hear it as ACEs. It, it's yes. often ACES. And typically, children in these homes have high ACE scores. And so, one of two things happens the child who is a bit stronger in their personality by nature, their natural constitution, uh, will often rise up and fight the system or oppose the system. And sometimes literally get into fights with the parents. Especially uh, the dominant parent. Especially the dominant parent. And often it is not uncommon at all to see children and adolescents leaving their homes at 13, 14, 15, 16 years old because mm-hmm. they can't tolerate living anymore and when living in that home anymore. And when they do, what happens is, is that they learn to do just about three things, make some money somehow, find a place to sleep and put food in their mouth and then make some money, find a place right. to sleep and put mm-hmm. food in their mouth. And so they have a very limited view. They're not proactive thinking of the future. They never think of the past. They're just thinking, what do I need to do to survive today? When they grow up, they end up dominating their world because they don't ever want to be down here again into this place where others are shaming and hurting, humiliating me and scaring me or abusing me. So they take the up position to predict and cause their life to be something that never surprises them Mm -hmm. or scares them or causes them to feel those childhood feelings they felt for years. Uh, So they take a dominant position, which is- The controller. Controlling, this would be the controller. And they too are protesters and get angry, but the vacillator is protesting because they want better connection Mm -hmm. and an ideal connection. The controller is protesting because they want conformity to their will, and they can become highly rigid people uh, to make others do what they want to do. Then those who are more passive, Sheila, are the children who grow up, they've tolerated the intolerable their whole lives. And then they move into adolescence and adulthood and they maintain that same persona. I can't resist, I can't say no, I don't have an adult voice. 
And so they're constantly, even as adults, being victimized. And so this chaotic, disorganized uh, world is getting a lot more attention now because there are advocates and people that are advocating for those children and saying somebody has to help those children. Yeah, anybody that's adopted a child that's been traumatized in the first several years, even the first year, knows how profoundly that affects their attachment, mm -hmm. um, even in a very loving family. It's just hard for them to trust. It's hard for them to receive. They're, they're on guard and they're anxious. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, people don't often realize why they need to control. Mm -hmm. um, so our heart goes out to this group. And what we have found in our quiz online, where the How We Love quiz, is that sometimes people with trauma test high in all the areas. Good point. Because they tried everything as a kid. These are all coping mechanisms. Right. You know, if I avoid and don't show feelings, it went better in my house. If he was the good boy, it went better in his home. So these kids will try different coping mechanisms, but often nothing really works. And so they tend to test high in three or four styles. And we just say, pick the style that you find yourself doing the most in the relationship you most want to change, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which hopefully if you're married would be your spouse. But, you know, Unfortunately, you know, for this group of people, it's not just that they didn't receive what they needed, they're traumatized on top of that. Mm -hmm. And so they really start adult life in a, in a ditch, in a hole. Right. And it just takes more work and more time to work out of that. And it's, it's very unfair, but it's just the reality of coming from a very difficult childhood. And there are specialized therapists that are trained to help with mm -hmm. traumatic histories. And, uh, and you need a specialist. You need a yes. specialist. And a lot of people want to forget their history. Sheila, they, they just think, well, it doesn't matter. I'm a grown up now and I'm moving on. But our history plays out every single day, especially in relationship is where they play out these reactive uh, mechanisms that we see. And they're so predictable. Right. That we write about them in our book. There's actually in the new version, there's nine core patterns that we discuss in the expanded edition of How We Love. Mm -hmm. And we read them to couples or have couples read them in our office and they they could walk in mad, but they start giggling because they go, how do you know we do this? <laughs> because they're so predictable. Now, attachment, this field is 75 years old, Sheila, and it has deep, deep roots of and research, of research uh, attached to it. So this is just our little whimsical idea. Mm -hmm. It is a deeply researched field. Yes. And many, many, many peer reviewed studies on this many. I, I love that. That it's, it's, yes, it is. It is very researched. Are you tired of wondering what all the fuss is about when it comes to sex? Do you feel like everybody is lying to you when they say sex is awesome? Because for you, sex has just never felt that great. I get it. I've been listening to women for over 17 years talk about how difficult sex can be. And we have surveyed over 32,000 people now to figure out what the keys are to women's sexual pleasure. And we have it all in our orgasm course. That's right. We have a course to help you reach orgasm. We even have a men's edition. And so please check it out because you were meant for passion and you don't want to miss out on it. The link is in the podcast notes. Then, you're then going to talk about how imprints can collide. And you give lots of different examples of what happens if this type marries this type and, and some of the dances you get into. Do you want to just give us a snapshot of one particular one that, that you like describing? Sure. Uh, we'll role play one for you. 
Okay. Is that all right? Yeah. Is that okay? I'm not going to tell you what we are, uh, but you can guess when I'm done which ones we are. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. All right. This will take about 40 seconds. All right. <laughs> all right. Hey, I'm home. I'm looking for some mail that we got today. It's supposed oh, to yeah. come it's today. Right there, babe, but guess what? I have a surprise for you. I'm so excited. I need I this. I can't wait to show I, you. I need to see I've this. I've been planning this. Look, I need to see months. I need to see the mail because it's important. I, and I it's from the bank. And we and have you to always sign need something. To see the mail. I know. I, I but know. you know, sometimes you put the mail in different places. I don't places. put the mail. Is wait, just, mail? wait, I have to surprise you. I, I want you to see this. Okay. Okay. I'm so, that's nice. That's good. But this has to be done first. It's something no, that. No, no. It's not just today. Oh, the bank. Oh, no. It's every day. Every single day. It's like, oh, hello, mail. How are you? You're the first thing I want to see when I come home. I love you, mail. I know. I'll be a piece of mail. On mail. Now do you see me? Okay. Okay, I don't, why do I even surprise? Why do I want to surprise you? This is I important. should just know. I should know. You'd rather see the mail than a surprise. So I'm done. Never mind. I'm done. God, that's so frustrating. I'm just, she puts the mail in a different place every day. <sighs> okay, I'm going to go with a voider vacillator. There you go. <laughs> and, you know, we role play these on stage and people just laugh because. The avoider vacillator is one of the most painful combinations and one of the ones most likely to come into therapy. Right. And guess who brings them? It's not Vacil the avoider. Yeah. The vacillator, mm -hmm. which is great because then they finally do get help. But, you know, the vacillators wanting connection, they've been dying for it. They've idealized it. You know, they love the even Stephen of the avoider because many times their home was more up and down. And then they realize hey, this person doesn't know how to connect and they start complaining. And the more they complain, the more the avoider avoids and the more the avoider avoids, the more unhappy they get. And over time, the vacillator can just devalue their spouse altogether and just say, well, I married the wrong person. And what they don't understand is that their need for that idealistic connection comes from their wounds and the avoider's inability to connect comes from their wounds. And of course, if two people are willing to look at those and really work through them, the core pattern will go away. It's fun, Sheila, to watch the core patterns subside and go away and for people to be able to have great conversations with each other. And but it takes work. It takes a lot and of this work. This isn't one of your pat answers. You know, you say you don't like pat answers, which yeah. I have to say I love about you because, it, you know, a lot of books are easy, quick just do this and do that and you're fine. Right. Seven easy, you know, three easy, this or that or whatever. Yeah. And this is a harder work, but we've seen amazing results from people who are willing to do the work. And it's, I would say the hardest for the first couple years when you're trying to switch that core pattern, because you're basically reversing a lot of your childhood teaching and learning new skills, which all of us like to be proficient. We don't like to, you know, feel like we're stumbling around. But uh, if you're willing to do that, I would say the word I would use now is God took us to a place of freedom. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You're actually in a prison as an avoider, unable to really know yourself or connect internally with, you know, really bring yourself into relationship or draw others there. And the pleaser is bound by anxiety and each one is its own prison. And as you work your way out of it, it's freedom on the other side. Right. And isn't that what intimacy really is? That that ability to share who you really are. And how can you share who you really are if you're running from yourself 
yourself. <laughs> if you don't know yourself, how mm -hmm. can you share who you are if you don't even know who you are? Well put. Mm -hmm. That brings up another point that a lot of people get a divorce thinking I'm leaving the person that triggered my history. But the problem is we, we take ourselves everywhere we go. And we end up finding that we end up repeating behaviors as soon as we get back into primary relationship. So just to your point, I can't get away from myself and I have to deal with myself. So my history isn't controlling me. My history is driving the bus. I need to start driving the bus. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So good. Now, what happens though, if only one of you sees the importance of this and if only one of you wants to do the work? Well, it's always frustrating, but what we suggest is that the one who wants to work read portions of the book or play portions of the workshop that are about you. Oh my gosh, honey, I just listened to this and I realized uh, I'm an avoider. There's actually a name for this. I'm starting to realize I, my family didn't really bond on any emotional level. Here's a list of growth goals. Which one would you pick for me that would mean the most to you? Mm -hmm. That's very disarming when you're focusing on you and you're asking your spouse to engage by picking the first growth goal for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one person in changing can change a relationship because as you change, your spouse has to relate to a new person. Mm -hmm. You know, we've seen the whole gamut. We've seen spouses won over. We've seen spouses, you know, come on board after they see changes in their spouse. And then we've seen spouses who flatly refuse to ever do anything. And it's very sad, but it's like, we just say, look, you, this is going to impact all your relationships, your friendships, um, your, your siblings, your kids. So as far as it depends on you, grow and change. And, you know, you can't control other people. One of our board members um, was very profoundly affected by our book. And he bought a copy for each of his two adult daughters and said, I want you to read the avoider chapter that that is me. I'm learning to not be that person anymore. I'm learning to grow, but I'd like to know what it was like for you to grow up with an avoidant dad. And he started dialogues with his daughters. He said were the best conversations he ever had with his daughters. Mm -hmm. And the beautiful part, but also tragic is that one of his daughters passed away um, I want to say after a surgery, after a surgery, unexpectedly, maybe two years later, and he was so happy having lost her, but that he had a very improved and high quality relationship with her in her last yeah. couple of years. Yeah, he grieved the loss. Yeah, terribly. It was very deep loss, but was so grateful that mm -hmm. he felt like he had really made a connection with her that was very real and different yeah. from what he had growing up. I love that. So in your book, you have, you have a number of tools that people can use to start growth. Um, I wrote down a bunch of them here, but maybe just tell us about one. How about extended listening? What does that look like? Extended listening is a part of the comfort circle. Mm -hmm. The comfort circle has four steps, um, self-awareness and other awareness. I can invite you to go around the comfort circle or I can ask, I need to go around the comfort mm -hmm. circle because I'm stressed. The second is just to begin the process. Who's going to decide when, where, how, what time, who's going to be the listener, who's going to be the speaker. The speaker is sharing whatever burden they need to share. 
the listener, the difference between the comfort circle and any other form of communication is that the listener stays in the listener role for an extended period of time. It's not a back and forth. Well, no, I didn't say that. Yes, you did say that. No, I did. Well, I didn't mean that if that's what you heard. They stay in the listener role and it's about being curious and finding out more. And this is a very hard skill. People think they know how to do it, but when we actually put them in that situation, they're like, well, I don't know what to ask. So we came up with a list of questions that are on the website called the listener's guide for the comfort circle. And there's 12 questions there. And you go through all 12 questions when you're listening to someone before you reverse and switch roles. So it tends to take the conversations to a, a lot deeper level and teaches people how much they can learn that they had no idea about if they actually continue to listen versus just uh, defending or what's the word I want? Well, defending or debating, debating or, that's the word or yeah. you know, trying to reframe what they just said or to reorganize the other person's speech. Learning to simply listen well mm-hmm. is something that, again, in our society and world is not taught. Mm-hmm. Uh, we immediately want to fix or change or oppose or debate or challenge the presupposition of what the person said, rather than saying, hmm, what do you mean by that? Or why are you asking me that question? And that's a curious question. Um, and we always use the soul word list in these conversations. The listener has uh, the list of questions. The speaker mm-hmm. has a list of soul words because the second question is give me three feelings about that experience that we're discussing mm-hmm. right and that often takes the conversation to a whole nother level just having to choose three feelings and this is where the emotional intelligence comes in uh because we're addressing um i mean we forget this but we are half emotional half cognitive creatures uh we we feel our, our thoughts and feelings and emotions are tied together. And so all of our decisions are made with emotions and thoughts. So the fact that people never have emotional conversations or know how to control them or where emotions are never addressed is is really a shortcoming uh, to quality relationship. And so we teach people how to bring in the emotions, even the ones that are extremely uncomfortable and to be able to tolerate them and to ask more questions about them. And then when you do, people feel relief that somebody wanted to hear um, that. I love that. All right. Well, tell us, you've mentioned um, your website, that there's lots of resources there and some freebies. Why don't you tell us what where people can find you and what they can get there? If everybody goes to howwelove.com, they can find out... <clears throat> so many things. Uh, There is a love style quiz there that allows them to take a 15 minute uh, little answer some questions and then it it will report back to them what their style is. Number two, it will offer resources to help further educate in that style and resources, resources to help start growing out and away from that style into a more engaging individual. Now, let's keep in mind, all five of these attachment styles are insecure, uh, ineffective in relationship, and and are damaging to relationship. People say we have poor communication. Well, on top of that, there's high levels of reactivity. 
And so what this does is it reduces the reactivity so people can actually have conversations improving over time. There are our workshops there. We have a workshop, How We Love, six hour workshop, small group studies, How We Love Sex or Don't is a six hour workshop, How We Love Our Kids, how this applies to parenting. And then there are numerous things that people can get there in the freebie section that Kay mentioned. There's a lot of things you can download freely. So that's great. And we will put those links in the podcast notes that go along with this podcast. So you can see, but check it at howwelove.com. And any last things that you want to leave our listeners with? I do. I have, I have something and I, I, shade it, I say this as a real praise. Um, next month is our 50th wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. And we have worked really hard for the last 35 years to maintain the same pace of working hard every day to listen to one another and also meet one another's needs emotionally as well as cognitively. And um, I, I am just, I look back at 50 years of marriage and I, and I realize from where we have come, how happy we are and the friendship we have and the closeness we have. Yeah, it's really looking back, it was so orchestrated by the Lord. Mm. It was a path we never could have figured out on our own. And we, I would leave your listeners with the verse that says, um, search me, O Lord, in Psalm 139, know my heart, mm-hmm. see if there's any anxious way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. That was a brave prayer we prayed when we left the ministry and we're like, something's wrong. And I found over 50 years that God always answers that prayer when you ask to have him reveal what's broken in me, Lord, that's hurting other people. Um, It's a brave prayer. It's a painful prayer. And then it's a very freeing prayer. I love that. That's a great place to land it. So thank you so much for joining us. I'll have to have you back sometime, but I really appreciate this. Thank you, Sheila. We love being with you and thank you for your support of the book. And thank you for all your hard work to help marriages. Thank you so much. Yeah, We're a team. Thanks for joining us on the Bear Marriage Podcast. I always appreciate your support. And remember, when you rate the podcast five stars, wherever you listen to it, you help other people see it and you encourage other people to listen. So rate our podcast, share about it in your Instagram stories, just tell other people to tune in. And hey, if you have read How We Love by the Yurkoviches, I'm sure they would love it if you rated and reviewed their book on Amazon or Goodreads. And do that for The Great Sex Rescue too, because again, it just helps get the word out. I really appreciate all of your support. I appreciate you tuning in and I am looking forward to seeing you again next week when we talk about a porn triage. See you then. Bye-bye.